Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, if you have your Bibles, or even if you don't have your Bibles, I'm going to ask everyone to turn in a Bible, either on your phone, pull up the app, or the Bible you brought with us, or use one of the blue ones right in front of you, everybody. Uh, one of the things we're doing in this series of Romans, is just there's power in reading this together, and I think there's visual power. Some of our brains work differently. Your brain actually will connect with things by actually looking over it in a way more than you realize. So. Pull it up to Romans chapter seven. If you're using the blue Bible in the room, it's page 1,121. We're gonna read one of the most encouraging passages in all the Bible. As we read in the book of Romans, chapter seven, starting at verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now, again, I I began this saying, this is one of the most encouraging passages in the Bible. And and you go, Tim, um, where are you finding the encouragement there? Here's why I would say this is one of the most encouraging passages in the Bible to me. Because when I read it, everything in me goes, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. Somebody else struggles with this too. And then I step back and I go, oh, the person writing this, maybe the greatest of all the apostles, wrote more books in the New Testament. And and he writes with this rawness and this honesty of this struggle with sin. In fact, he, he writes in such a raw way that the theologians and interpreters have debated. I mean, is he writing this as a Christian? Is he writing this maybe as an unbeliever? Some kind of put it and say, well, he's writing it. There was a stage in his life where he struggled in this way. And yet I, I look at it, we're in this section of Romans where Paul's walking us through this part of the gospel, this part of salvation, of what does it mean to live this out? What does it mean to live as a follower of Jesus? and to be changed by this gospel. And he talks about a very real struggle 
that I don't care who you are, how long you've walked with Jesus, if we're all honest with ourselves, there's parts of you that as I read through it, you go, yeah, I identify with that exactly. The struggle that is very real. Just to give you a little bit of an overview, and and we wanna, as we're walking through the book, just teach a little bit of the theology behind it. As you look at this, what he's describing is our salvation in Christ, it's complete, but it's also in process. There's parts of it where we've been reading in Romans where it's done, it's finished, it's complete. I was saved. But then you get to these parts and you go, wait, what is going on in this ongoing process? Theologians use three kind of big words around salvation. The first one, justification, second one, sanctification, third one, glorification. We kind of put the occasion on there to make it sound really formal. If you look at the beginning of it, justify, sanctify, glorify. And and so justify, this means that I was completely forgiven in Christ. Romans one through five, we looked at that, how everyone needed this. None of us turned to God in it, but through faith in Christ, we've been declared righteous. We've been made right. And I was completely forgiven. Every sin I ever committed, and here's the other part of it, or will commit has been forgiven in Christ. It's done. Now go to the other end of the spectrum, glorification. One day I'm gonna be completely changed with Christ. And so when you think of glorification, just look at that word glory. We describe heaven as a place of glory. We'll see the glory of God. And so one day I'm gonna stand in front of Jesus and every part of me is gonna be completely changed. My mind, my heart, my will, my body will be completely changed. It's done completely. And and so both of these things are complete. Now in the middle of it is this word sanctification or sanctify means to be set apart. And this is the process of becoming like Christ. Now the interesting thing we're gonna see in Romans eight, God's gonna say that everybody that he justified will end up being glorified, but all of us are in this process of being changed to look like him. And it's a process and it's a struggle. And, and the struggle is real. And, and we've looked at the last couple of weeks, Paul's warned us of two different ways, two ditches that you can get in, in this journey, in this process. Remember, we likened it like you're on the road. And so sanctification is like on this road, I've been justified, I'm completely forgiven, I know I'm gonna be glorified, and so now I'm on the road, and, and kind of two ditches that you can get in, remember we looked at one that was kind of the golden ticket Christianity, the ditch that says basically, if I've been justified and I'm gonna be glorified, I'm just not gonna worry about this part of the process. And just do what you wanna do and sin, grace will cover it, you're gonna get there one day. And Paul goes, are you kidding me? Why would you wanna live that way? Don't don't you know sin is robbing you of all the goodness of this life? Why would you ever have that attitude? Now, the other ditch, and we looked at the last time in Romans, is is rule book Christianity. It's where if, if I follow enough rules, even God's law, and I keep it hard enough, man, then I'm gonna be changed. And as Paul walked through it, he goes, you can't keep the rules enough. In fact, you're still typing on a typewriter in this old covenant when he wants you to type on a a computer and experience all of word processing of the new covenant, of this inside out transformation. 
And, and so he's, he's laid it out. You don't want to be in either ditch. We're on this road of sanctification. And then he comes to this part in Romans 7 when you would think, okay, if I avoid the ditches, life is going to be easy, isn't it? And Paul goes, let me tell you how hard it really is. Let me tell you about part of the struggle and the reality of it. And we have this section of Romans chapter 7. Now, the reason the struggle is real is we have real enemies. I mean, this process of struggle is we battle real enemies. Scripture talks about three enemies that don't want you to succeed in this journey. And the first enemy, I mean, we know the spiritual forces. And this would be Satan. This would be all of the angels that rebelled against God. They're under condemnation. So they want every one of us to be under condemnation as well. And so, and so they, they never want you to experience the life that's in Christ and do everything possible to sabotage it, to tempt you, to keep you from experiencing what life's all about. A second enemy is the world system. And again, it's not talking about the physical universe. God created the universe, but it's talking about the system that's aligned against God, the culture that can go in all different directions with that. Here's the third enemy though, and, and notice in our passage, Paul never mentions these two. He says, man, we're in this struggle, but he never mentions Satan. He doesn't say it's because this bad world system out there. Maybe the worst enemy of all is my own flesh. I found the enemy and he's me. That I keep sabotaging me more than anyone else. Notice there's not one part in that passage where Paul says, man, I wanted to obey God, but the devil made me. Ooh, that devil. There's not one part in the passage where he goes, oh man, I wanted to obey God, but I, this world system, have you seen, have you been on Twitter lately? Have you seen how corrupt this world is? No, he never talks about those two, does he? He goes, let me, let me tell you the enemy that is fighting me is my own flesh. Now, again, that term flesh can be a little confusing because scripture uses it in different ways. Sometimes it's used to talk about physical body itself. Paul's not saying your physical body is bad. He's not saying like you got this good spiritual part of you and then this bad physical body. When, when he uses this term flesh, you, you look at it, what he's talking about He's talking about that it's the mind, the body, the spirit, all of it apart from Jesus. It's the totality of that sinful nature. And, and these three enemies are working all the time. Look how Ephesians, he writes, he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sin in what you once walked. You were following the course of this world. So he's talking about that world system that's aligned against God. You were following the prince of the power of the air. That's a, another term for Satan. So you are under the control of the world system. You are under the control of Satan's system that's now, in the now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived and look in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So this flesh carries out the desires. Notice it's of body and of mind. It's all of who I am aligned against God. And, and Paul says there was a time period where you had no choice in it. Of course you live like everybody else in the world. Of course you were under the control of the prince of the power there. Of course you just kept the passions of your flesh. But because of Christ, for by grace you've been saved through faith. God's redeemed us out of that. 
But in that journey of that redemption, remember he's justified me, I'm gonna be glorified. But while I'm on that journey, man, I'm still battling this flesh, this sinful nature. This part of me, and I, and I love the way he puts it. Do you ever have this feeling where you know what you're supposed to do? And I just don't want to do it. Anybody else ever feel that? Yeah. Okay, good. Some honest people here. <laughs> and then you reverse it. You know what you're not supposed to do. And I just want to do it. Anybody else feel that? Yeah. You know what that is? That's his flesh. That's that battle. That's that struggle that he's talking about where I'm my own worst enemy. And sometimes the struggle runs so deep and the battle runs so deep. It can feel like it overwhelms us. When Paul says that, he goes, wretched man that I am, wretched woman that I am. Man, do you feel that in your bones at times? Now, as I say this, I want to back up for just a minute because I want to make sure it's really clear on this part. Because sometimes we get into this battle and we define our whole Christian life by it. And some of you are in this battle and, and you're battling against something that runs really deep in you. And it has so defined it. You, you almost run with fear all the time that maybe I'm not God's child. Maybe I've done too much. Maybe I'm gonna cross the line. Here's what I want you to make sure you recognize where we are in it. This is a daily battle, but it's in a war that Christ has already won. It's a battle and the battle is real, but the war has been won. Jesus won the war. Now, now, as I'm, I'm battling and I'm dealing with it, you know, one of the best uh, images of it, I go back to World War II. You know, at the end of World War II, especially when Japan ended the war and declared in treaty with the United States that the war was over August of 1945. And yet on many of the islands of Japan or in Asia, Japanese territories, there were soldiers who refused to surrender for years. They kept fighting. And, and so allied forces, other forces, local police departments at times had to come together to try to root out these soldiers to go, this war is over. But it was a real battle. In fact, it was fascinating to me, the last soldier, the last verified holdout who surrendered was Private Teruro Nakamura. And he, he finally surrendered he was on Morotail Island in Indonesia. He surrendered December of 1974. 30 years he kept fighting. Now, as you look at it, each of those fights, each of those battles, they were real. They're real fights. And, and the reason they, they fought is, man, we, we need to retake this island. We need to retake this place because the war has been won. And actually, man, there is money, there's freedom, there's liberty, there's things that could come that this place could flourish, but we got to root out someone who's still fighting an old battle. And it's a great picture of what's going on in our lives. Guys, Jesus has won the war for you. Jesus paid it all for you. Everybody that he justified, he will glorify. 
Every single one of them. Now, you may be fighting a real battle, and even today. Some of you, maybe you're fighting something in your life and you go, man, it feels like it's consuming me. It feels like it's winning. And here's the problem with that enemy Satan. You know what he likes to do? He will tempt you in one ear and then condemn you in the other. In one moment, he'll tempt you. You ought to do this. You ought to do this. And your flesh goes, yeah, I ought to do that. And then as soon as you do it, you know what he whispers in your other ear? I can't believe you did that. You're a good Christian. You know, good Christians don't do that. Well, maybe you aren't a Christian. Maybe you ought to think about, he does, he plays both sides of the fence, guys. And some of you, you live in that all the time. And you live in the fear of it all the time. That maybe I'm not a good Christian. Can we just retire that term? There are no good Christians. We're only good because of Jesus. Yeah. And, and so trying to live up to something that like I've got to be good enough, that's trying to live up to the fact that I've got to win the war. He won the war. When Jesus declared it is finished, it was finished for all that you did. The moment he forgave you, he didn't just forgive the sins up to that moment, he forgave the sins for the rest of your life. That's why John tells us, I love this verse, everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. You're an overcomer, whether you feel like one or not. This is the victory that has overcome the world. What's our victory? It's our faith. Not because, man, we're so strong, not because we overcame. Who is, the, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? It's because we've received the victory that he won that we experience it in our life as well. And, and uh, just again, I, I say this because I'll talk to Christians who have been Christians for years who live under a lot of fear in this. That you have a real struggle going on in your life. And there's this fear that maybe it's too much. Maybe God's done with me. Maybe my salvation wasn't real. All these different parts. Hear me. Do you believe today that Jesus Christ is the son of God? That he died for your sins? That he rose again? And in that belief, he has completely forgiven you. Then you're an overcomer. Now, you're in the battle, but it's a battle in a war that Jesus has already won for you and for me. Now, as we're in that battle, look at it. The next point, the process of this battle always involves a no to the old and a yes to the new. So Paul says, man, I've got my flesh. There's this sinful part of me, my mind, my heart, my spirit, all of it that doesn't want to do what God wants to do. And it's there and it's real and it flares up and, and, and it really makes decisions in that. And then I've got this new, the part that's been redeemed in me, that's completely changed by Christ. And I feel the battle between the two of them. And if you read through, especially Paul's writings, he'll use it in a different metaphors, different ways of the process of this battle is always a no and a yes. And so as you look at it, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Back in Romans 6, he said it this way. Look at the no in this. Don't let sin reign to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. 
You're members to God as instruments of righteousness. Do you see the no and the yes there? He says, don't present your body to the old master. Don't give in to this old voice, this old nature. You, 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 you've got you, are you presenting yourself here? Or, now here's the yes of it, are you actively presenting yourself to God? Are you actively engaging who he is? There's a no and a yes. Look how he puts it in Colossians, a little bit different way. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So it's again, it's a no and a yes, different metaphor though. He describes it kind of like clothes. Are, are you taking off that old clothes and putting on the new? You always have to have both of them, by the way. It's not just one or the other. He says, there's a no to this and a no to this and a yes to this. Look how he puts it here in Galatians. And he's describing in Galatians, it's not just saying no to the old, but it's also saying yes to the third member of the Trinity who's actively working in our life. He says, I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. These two are at battle with each other. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And, and so he describes it in Galatians. We'll look further in Galatians, how he describes this. I'm saying no to this flesh, this desires of the flesh, and I'm saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Now I, I say that because you've got to have both of them all the time. It's not a one or the other, especially, and this is what we often do, especially when we turn into rule book Christianity. I mean, everything becomes about the no. In fact, all we focus on is the no. And if you're struggling with the sin, you can get to where your whole life is, just don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Or sometimes with our kids, we can be bad about that, is just don't, don't, don't. Now here's the problem if you only have the no. That's all you'll end up thinking about. I mean, right now, let's just practice this. I want everybody in this room, whatever you do, don't think about a pink elephant. Now listen to me, no pink elephants. Don't think about a pink elephant. Don't, don't think about a pink elephant. Now what's everybody thinking about? Yeah, they're running through your brain right now, just like, and, and that's the same thing when we reduce it all just to a don't Christianity. I mean, we look at our kids and teenagers, don't have sex, don't have sex, sex bad, don't, don't, don't. Huh, I wonder what they're thinking about. If we didn't also turn and go, man, what, what's the yes in this that God wants you to experience? What's the yes in this season of life? What's the yes in the future and what God's doing? See, in scripture, you'll always see these two together. It's never just the, oh, don't do that. In every book, and Paul especially will always go, yeah, oh man, you're gonna, you're gonna have to say no to some things. But then there's this yes to what Christ is doing. And, and, and the yes isn't just like, don't do that, but then you have to do these rules. It's more the yes, notice what he said, yes to the spirit, yes to who Christ is, yes to this whole way of life of understanding him. Now, I've described it before, but I think Ken Shigematsu, when, when he uses the illustration from Greek mythology, is such a great picture of this, of two different ways of approaching it. 
You know, in Greek mythology, there was a whole legend of the sirens. You ever heard the siren song? And the sirens were these beautiful women that lived on this island. Some stories, they were mermaids with it. And, and if you sailed near their island, they would sing this beautiful, enticing song. That as sailors heard it, they couldn't help but be attracted to it. And they looked over in these beautiful women and they would sail to the island. And before they got there, they would wreck on the shoals. And then the sirens would kill them and plunder everything they had. Pretty gruesome story. In two different Greek mythologies, in one story, Odysseus, remember he did the long journey? Odysseus, as he was sailing by the Sirens Island, his way of handling it was he put wax in the ears of all of his crew, but he actually wanted to hear the song. So he had his sailors tie him to the mast of the ship. And as they sailed by and the siren song went, man, the sailors were unaffected by it. But Odysseus was literally driven mad with desire. Everything in him just wanted it, but the ropes kept him from going there. Now, in another story, Jason and the Argonauts, Jason chose a totally different approach because he needed to sail by the island of the Sirens, but he took with him Orpheus. And it was said that when Orpheus played his harp, there was nothing more beautiful in all the world. And so as they sailed by, the sirens were singing their song and it was certainly attractive. But as Orpheus played, as he was there with them on the ship, the beauty of the music there was so much more attractive than anything the sirens could offer that they sailed by. See, I, I think it's a great picture as we think about this struggle because some of you, you're trying to do it the Odysseus way. That man, there's that siren song and sin attracts me, but if I put enough rules in place and I strap myself down enough, I just won't do it. And it's a pretty miserable way to live. What, what scripture is offering here is, is what if life with Jesus and as I start discovering how beautiful that life is, as I spend time with him, as I know him, as I know his desires for me, what if that changes us? What if the attraction of that, that's the yes. The yes isn't just more rules. The yes is actually Jesus himself. The yes is the Holy Spirit who's literally chosen to live with you, and be with you and encourage you and comfort you and convict you and lead you and help you understand the Bible more. That's the yes that makes all the difference in this process. And, and I would just encourage you as you think about this process of the two, as we do that together, that it, it's learning how to do that together in community. It's learning how to do it in a way, part of the yes is that I'm not gonna live in the shame anymore either. See, the old flesh tells me, man, you got to hide this. You can't tell anyone if anybody knows this about you. That's why I love that Paul writes this so graphically. Paul says, man, you, got, you need to know this about me. And I'm the apostle Paul. Why? Because I'm going to bring this out. Part of the yes is I bring this out into the light, into community, so that people can know me, so that they can help me as I'm making this process between the no and the yes. So, one of the reasons this next coming weekend, we're hosting the conference, Living in Sexual Integrity. 
Because frankly, some of you, this process, especially when it's connected to anything sexual, it's so shaming. And we so hide it. And, and you know what the three enemies will tell you? The world, the world will tell you, oh, don't worry about it. What's a little pornography? Well, it's a little, you're just acting out in your sexuality. Satan will tempt you and then he'll condemn you. And you know what your flesh will tell you? Your flesh is gonna tell you, I gotta hide this at all costs. You, you gotta say no to that. And part of that no is going, I'm not gonna keep doing the same pattern because nothing's changing here. And I, I would just encourage you, and we, we've invited everyone because it's such a good conference for anyone to be aware of just how do you deal with these issues, experts that speak into it. But I, I wanna say this specifically, some of you, man, you're dealing with this in your life. You're dealing with pornography. You've got a spouse that's dealing with it. You feel trapped in it. It's impacting your home. It's impacting your marriage. And you keep telling yourself, man, I'm gonna pray my way through it and I'm gonna get over it on my own. That's not gonna work. And so part of the no is, you know what? I'm not gonna do that anymore. I'm not gonna live in the shame. I'm not gonna hide. I'm actually gonna come and learn from people and connect with others who are on this journey with me, in the fight with me, and live in the light together so that you can experience some change in it. And even as I say it now, some of you, you, you need to sign up. You need to be there next Saturday. And I, I just encourage you, if it's you, if it's your spouse, if it's someone you know, uh, stop by. I, I think at the hub, they'll have representatives that can help sign you up for the conference. But, but it, we do these kind of things because we actually believe in this process. We actually believe in the beauty of what Christ does. And we've seen that redemption. We've seen that change. We've seen people experience it in every area of life. And you can experience it too. Now, as I say that, I, I, I just encourage you to recognize that God is more concerned with the why than the what. As I look through this, because you think about it, the, the what is the sin I'm struggling with, the action that I did, the thought that I have, and I can get real consumed on the what. Man, I did that again, I don't wanna do that again, I'm focused on that. And sometimes I miss the whole big picture of the why. Have you ever asked yourself, why does God have a struggle like this? I mean, he, he's forgiven sin, one day he's gonna completely eradicate it. And part of it's the mystery of living in a fallen world with real enemies. And, and part of it is how God has chosen the journey for us. And, and so as we think about it, I, I would just encourage you as you get into the struggle, don't just ask yourself the what, what did I do again? What do I need to do to stop doing this? If you ever stop to go, man, why? And what is God doing at a heart level here? Because remember this whole thing is about the inside out. It's from the heart out. It's not just rules on the outside. It's God changing me from the inside out. I'll give you an example from my life. Anybody here ever struggle with greed or envy? It's funny that we never confess to those two and we probably all struggle with them a lot more than that. I mean, literally, I, 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 you can ask any group that question, ever struggle with greed? Nope, nope, not an issue for me. Really? Or envy, I mean, you know, we never compare ourselves to others. We never want what they have. I, I, I'll feel it at different times, you know, it just wells up, that siren song sings and I go, oh. And one of the times I've noticed, sometimes when we're on vacation and we'll be on vacation, we're staying, you know, Airbnb or renting someplace. And I look around and there's all these like beautiful, huge vacation houses, beach houses. And I look at them like, whoa. 
And, and then we'll be like out to eat right down by the docks and I start seeing boats, especially when I see boats, it hits me. And I see the big, you know, the big, big boats. And then you see the fishing boats. And then you see the little boats that go with the big boats. And man, that siren song starts singing. You know what happens? And everything in my flesh says, I want this. You say, what do you want? What do you mean this? I mean this. I want the big house and I want the big boat and I want the little boat that goes with the big boat and I want to do what they do all the time to have all of this all the time. I want it all, baby. I want it all. Now, it'd be easy for me in that moment just to condemn myself. And even as I say it, some of you are like, well, Tim, are you saying that Christians can't have big beach houses and big boats and all that? No. In fact, I know I have friends, godly, wonderful people. They have all of those things. And it doesn't impact their walk in the least. But somewhere God has determined, I'm not one of those people. <laughs> now I, I, I could make it about rule-based and tie myself to the mast and go, okay, bad Tim, don't look at the boats. Don't think about that. You be happy. Does that work? No. See, if I stop just focusing on the what and then ask, okay, why am I feeling this way? Why do I want that? And as I investigate it in my own life, now part of the why is actually based on a good thing. I think God has actually made us to be attracted to beauty to treasure. In fact, it's one of the reasons Jesus promises us in heaven. He goes, oh, I'll give you treasure. I know you're attracted to that. I can't wait to lavish it on you. And guess what? When I give it to you, it's headache free. There's no maintenance. There's no robbers. There's none of that stuff. So it's not all a bad thing. We always go, oh, bad. I want that. Now, God knows how we're wired. And I go, okay. Yeah, it's probably part of that. I, I, there's this longing. But then I go a little deeper and go, okay, well, why, do, why do I feel that way? Well, I'm telling myself somehow if I had that, I'd be happy. Even though I've studied these things, I've studied the hedonic treadmill, I've studied all the things. Like if you make a jump in wealth, the happiness lasts about nine months. And then your brain readjusts and you go, okay, this is the new standard. And you're not as happy as you thought you would. I know all that there, but at a soul level, I go, why am I wrestling with it here? And, and somewhere in that, I know I have a God who loves to give me good gifts and he's not giving me this. So I'm not really embracing the good of what he is doing in my life. And the joy of what it does mean to experience Christ in my life now. And at a core heart level, man, am I telling myself somehow that if I had that, I would be happy? Man, Jesus, deal with this. Because if I'm not finding happiness in you, I don't care what I have. It'll never be enough. See, in, in all of this wrestling, I, I just would encourage you, God's not weirded out by the what. He already forgave all the what. Every sin you did, he forgave it already. He's covered it. 
But he uses this struggle, he uses this process to force us to wrestle with the why of our hearts. So that as we wrestle those things, man, we become more like Jesus. And, and here's what it means. When you become more like Jesus, life flourishes more. Life's better in it. So to do that, the core of this issue really comes down to the issue of control. Because it's all about control. I can't truly change me no matter how hard I try. That's what Paul's teaching. And that's when, when theologians say, well, he's writing this as an unchristian. He's writing this as a Christian and all that. It really doesn't matter what he's writing this is. If I try to do it in my own strength, I'll never get there. I'll never get there. And so God has allowed this struggle in my life so that I learn to depend on him even more. Guys, if I didn't have the power to justify me, I didn't have the power to save me. I don't have the power to glorify me one day. I can't change me completely. Why do I think I have the power to sanctify me? Why do I trust so much for Jesus on those two parts of the journey, but then when it comes to this part, it's all up to me. Paul says, hey, whenever it's all up to me, I don't do what I even wanna do. And, and so as we look at it, and we're going to see more in chapter eight as he unfolds what this means. Will I position my life to allow him to be in control? Will I let him lead me? And again, you, you look how Paul describes that in Ephesians 5, 18. He says, don't get drunk with wine. Don't let wine control you. You know who needs to control you? Be filled with the spirit. Put yourself in a position that the spirit's in control. Look how he puts it with the fruit. He says, the works of the flesh, and then he lists all the things, sex and impurity, idolatry, sorcery, all the things we struggle with. He goes, this is what the flesh likes to do. Notice though, he says, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Even the contrast between these two words, works are something I can do. And when it gets reduced to me, this is the kind of stuff that shows up. Fruit, I can't fruit. I can't even go, yeah, I'm gonna get some fruit. Ugh. Fruit is something he has to do. But I can position my life so that I experience his work in me. I mean, even in that, there's an issue of control. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So that's that yes that I'm doing. That's my worship. Don't be conformed to this world. The no, don't let them shape you. Don't choose that. But notice the word here, be transformed. Transformed is a change from the inside out. That's something I can't do. He has to do in me. And, and, and so I just ask you today, as you think about maybe the core issue that you're struggling with right now. Satan wants to condemn you in it. The world wants to tell you, oh, just do it, don't worry about it. Jesus wants you to experience what a flourishing life really looks like. And so he looks at you honestly, he said, you're gonna have to say a no, but the only way you say yes is you gotta let him be in control. And the only way you trust him in that is you know him well enough that you'd give him that kind of control. 
I, I would encourage you today, this is a real battle that we're all in as followers of Jesus. And, and the core of this battle every day comes back to that question, how am I today positioning my life that instead of living in shame, instead of living in the temptation, I'm choosing today to let him have control. I'm choosing today to live in the light. I'm choosing to say yes, not to a new set of rules, but yes to the Holy Spirit himself who wants to lead me and guide me and actually produce fruit in my life and your life too. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray for each of us today. I pray because we all wrestle with this more, more than we admit to each other. And I thank you for just the openness of Paul as he's walking us through this journey. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit here right now in my life and our lives in this church. That what Christ accomplished when he is here, the spirit continues. Lord, I, I pray for those today that even as they walked in today, they feel so ashamed. They feel so beat up. The enemy is condemning them and they're believing the lie. Lord, I pray they'd say no to that lie and yes to the truth of what you said about them when you declared on the cross, it is finished. It has been paid for, it is done. Lord, I pray for those who maybe they're, they're hiding in some sin that they just don't seem to be able to overcome. I pray, would they say yes to the light? Yes to community. Yes to the fact that you've called us to walk this together and not alone. Lord, I pray for anybody, maybe they've never taken that first step of truly giving you control of their lives. I pray even today, they would say yes to Jesus and experience what he only brings. And we pray this in his name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.